0: All right. Genesis 17. This is an awkward chapter. You know why? It's all about circumcision. And that's just a it, it's it's like I'm looking at this chapter this morning and it felt like when you need to tell your son about the birds and the bees. When you have that conversation, right? So you're kind of like, how do you do that well? And you guys know what happened to me? I didn't have a dad. So the senior pastor showed up at my house, grabbed me and my brother, took us to Dairy Queen. We were able to order blizzards. We sat down and he said, boys, what do you think about girls? And we're like, I don't know. He goes, well, you might think they have cooties now, but there's coming a day where you're going to be like, ooh, baby. And it just got worse from there. And I'm like, right? I'm like, I know all this. I'm 20, buddy. I mean, come on. So guess what I did to Elijah when I had to talk with him? Dairy queen? Blizzard. You're going to have the same thoughts when you drink a blizzard every time like I do. Like, oh, man, I don't know if I want a blizzard. It protects you from a blizzard. So it's an awkward chapter. Let's do it. Chapter 17. Yeah, the Bible hits on awkward things. I was telling a guy yesterday, uh, he just like, there's so much like just, there's just life isn't always like uh, the X games. Sometimes life is like boring. I said, do you know, if you look at the law, like the 613 commandments, the majority of them deal with just mundane things, right? When you go to the bathroom, take a shovel and bury it. That's literally in the law. There are hundreds of laws like that that are just like, hey, common sense. When you do these things, live this way. If you touch something dead, wash your hands. That's a law, right? God is actually concerned about just what we would think is like mundane things. So um, anyways, awkward chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, father of many, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. God. I just call this the greater promise. God kind of reiterates some stuff, but he actually expands on it and says, you're not just going to have a big family. Nations are going to come from you. Kings are going to come from you. So God expands it and makes it bigger. But I want you to notice something that verses one and two, when you read them, sound very conditional, don't they? I'll read them again. So God appears, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Look at verse two. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. It sounds conditional, right? God comes. The word here, God Almighty, is literally El Shaddai. Perhaps you've heard the Kerry or no, Amy Grant, Carry Grant, the Amy Grant song, El Shaddai, right? Um, no one's quite sure how, what you're supposed to translate it as. It shows up 48 times in the Bible. It's a pretty frequently used term for God. Um, it's an old term. So the majority, 31 times it's in Job, which is an older book. So there's like debate, what does it mean? The word Shaddai, it either means mountain or it means breast because of the same shape. An awkward chapter, like I said. There's a lot of awkward stuff in here. So it's one of those two, and people go back and forth. What is it? Is a mountain like you get up on this mountain and you're protected because it's a stronghold and it's high, or is it a breast? No one's quite sure. I think, and a lot of people think this, because every time it's used, not every time, the majority of the time it's used, it's almost linked with the prosperity of that person. So God now is going to tell Abram, man, I got all this good stuff for you. I'm changing your name. I'm expanding the promises. I'm doing this stuff for you. It's almost always linked to them prospering. So they say, based on that, it should be God, the breasted one. Because the breast is where milk comes from. And in the Bible, milk is the sustenance of life. So when God says you're going to a land flowing with milk and honey, it's not literally like you go up there and there's milk coming out of the cracks of rocks. It's a land that has life in it and sweetness in it. And it has that in it, that the source of life is there. So God is saying this. He's saying, I'm your source of life. Abram, I'm El Shaddai. I'm the source. So then he says this, so you walk blameless before me. The word blameless there means sincere, single-heartedly, single-mindedly. Don't don't be hopping between two positions, checking out the the best option. Don't be lukewarm, be hot or cold, be in it completely. That's what God's saying. Because I'm the source, because that's who I am, you walk 100% with me so that I may make a covenant and I may bless you. Why is God doing this right here? Because it's been unilateral and unconditional to this point. Genesis is context. God is weaving a story together. There might've been 13 years in here. It doesn't matter. God skipped all those. The next episode is this. So chapter 16, what happened in the chapter 16? Bad stuff. It wasn't his best move. Wasn't Abram's best day? Wasn't Sarah's best day? They have a fight. They call down judgment. You know, it's just a bad, bad chapter. She runs away. It's brutal. Just, it's a terrible chapter. Abram is totally passive. He does things he should not be doing. So you've got that as the backdrop. And what you see really in Abram, now Abraham's life, is the covenant promises of God are almost always in danger. In chapter 12, God says, this is what I want to do with you, man. Get out of this bad city, move to a land I want to show you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. Verse 7 of chapter 12, this land I'm going to give to your kids. You're going to have kids, and they're going to get this land, right? What immediately happens after that? Famine, Egypt, Sarai, who's supposed to produce the kids, that are going to inherit the land and be the blessing to all nations, is taken into a king's harem. The promise of a descendant is all of a sudden in jeopardy. God has to rescue him. Okay, fine. Then chapter 13, what happens? You've got Abram with Lot knowing, hey, there's a problem here. So Abram being generous grabs Lot and says, hey, look around you, take any of this land. Should he have said that? No, because God said this land right here, the promised land is yours. So there's a tension right there. You'd be like, oh my goodness, what are you doing, Abram? You can't give away God's promised land. Well, Lot, you know the story, looks off the promised land, down into Sodom and Gomorrah and says, I want that land. And it's like, praise the Lord, he wanted Sodom. You're like, glad about it because it protected the land. So it becomes Abram's, not Lot's. So it's in jeopardy there, right? Chapter 16, in jeopardy again. So here's what, here's what is happening. God comes He goes, listen, Abram, I'm the source. Stop doing chapter 16 stuff. Stop putting the promises in jeopardy. Look to me. Don't look to Hagar's. Don't look and be afraid of Egypt's. Don't be putting my covenant promises in jeopardy. You're trying to wreck the plan. Essentially, that's what God's saying here. So then he says, it's almost conditional. Listen, buddy, walk before me as your source so that I can make my covenant with you and multiply you greatly. This brings up a big theological debate in Christianity about God's sovereignty. And there's quite a few positions, but the two main positions, they're like um, diametric almost in a way. So one position is this. It's that God's sovereignty is like the script of a movie, that he has written out the script exactly, the characters act it out this way, God knows exactly what they're going to do, he directs the whole thing, it's a script. And it doesn't matter if you replayed that movie a million times, it will always play out exactly the same, right? So my wife and I, we like the movie Cheaper by the Dozen, where they have like 12 kids, because when we watch it, we're like, that's us, man, it's totally us, that sounds like us. So uh, we're watching, every time we watch it, it's the same thing. The little girl goes in to steal some makeup and you're like, please don't steal the makeup. And she does. It doesn't matter what you do, that movie's always gonna play out the same. So that's God's sovereignty on that side. The script, it's called meticulous providence. That God knows exactly how the world is going to be done and there is zero deviation from it. With meticulous providence, what that means is then... Everything good is scripted by God and everything bad is scripted by God. So even really terrible things that have happened, God had written it into the script at some point and said, this is how this thing's gonna be acted out. So, so that's the one side. But when you read this, it doesn't sound like that to me. It's almost like God saying, listen, buddy, you keep putting the covenant promises in jeopardy. It's not gonna be good. So I don't land in meticulous providence, script. I land when it comes to God's sovereignty in what could be termed the ship idea. That God is the captain of this ship of the universe. And this ship, God's sovereignty says, I'm going to get to my destination. I will get there no matter what happens. But on board the ship that's headed to paradise, it's headed to Hawaii, Hawaii, on board the ship, there's mutiny. And there's people down in the hold of the ship that are actually actively trying to work against God's design to get to Hawaii. They want to go to North Korea, right? So they're trying to turn the ship to North Korea, but God's saying, we're going to Hawaii, but they're actively working against God. And God gives them the freedom to make choices, within the confines of that ship. They can't burn the ship down. There's things like it's called limited free will, but he gives them free will. Do what you want on this ship. If you wanna be in the hold of the ship and stay down there and get sick and puke the whole way, that's fine, but we're going to Hawaii, period. So when I read the Bible, I see that as God's sovereignty, that God gets the ship where he wants to. So here's how I look at God's sovereignty. God, number one, is not accountable to anybody. God doesn't have to answer to you or me. That's Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. He doesn't answer to me. I don't have to say, God, why'd you do this? Well, God says, that's because I do what I want. Number two, his plans and his purposes to get us to Hawaii will not be overcome. God does what he wants, but here's the key. Not everything that happens is what God wants. So God did not want Chapter 16. God did not want chapter four when Cain kills Abel. God didn't want those things. But here is what God can do. He gives you and me freedom on this ship called planet Earth. But he limits, frustrates, and will even bring good from the evil that humans release on this earth. And to me, that explains the Bible a lot better. And I think it makes God much more powerful. So you could script a thing, right, and control everything like like robots almost. Or God is able to even say, I will use the brokenness of humans and their issues and their problems. And I'm a great enough God to actually even use their crooked lines to get us in a straight line to where I want us to go. So that's the way I see God's sovereignty. So God is coming to Abram almost and saying, buddy, you're really going crooked here. Stop it. I'm the source. Trust me. Quit putting the covenant promises in jeopardy. Stop doing that. So what does Abram do? Verse three, falls on his face. Good move. Good move when God says, dude, what are you doing? You fall on your face. I'm sorry, I blew it. Then what does God do? Blesses his socks off. You repented, you fell on your face, you responded to me correctly. Now I'm gonna enlarge the promises and make it even greater for you, Abram. So my thing is, it's called active providence. I believe in active providence, not meticulous providence, that God's able to do these things. He does what he wants. Not everything that happens on earth is what God wants, but he is a great enough God that he frustrates evil, limits evil, and he will even take the evil that we do and turn it for good. I call that judo theology, all right? So you see that working out right here with Abram. And then he takes Abram and he says this, verse five. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. He renames this guy. His parents had given him this name 99 years before. God changes his name. What's he demonstrating there, right, at that point? Imagine if somebody came up here for a baby dedication And they hand me their baby and I look at them and I say, what's your baby's name? And they say Tanner or Hunter or whatever. I go, no, it's not. This child's name is now Bartholomew. Let us dedicate Bartholomew to the Lord. What would you say to me? You'd say, you're nuts, dude. That baby doesn't belong to you. You can't do that. Okay, what God is saying right here is, Abram, you belong to me. So walk with me. Abram you're mine. I'm not giving up on you. You're mine. And I'm expanding what it means for you to be mine. And then verse five, I don't know what translation you have, but it has this in it. It says, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Do you have that in the past tense? Does everybody have that in the past tense? There is no past tense in Hebrew. So the Hebrew language is very different than Greek, which has a lot of tenses, and it's very different than English. This is called a perfect verb. And the perfect verb means this. It's looked at as though it's already entire and complete. So what God says here is really, it's a done deal. We put it in the past tense because that's the closest we can get to it in English, but it's God just saying, this is already a done deal. This thing, because you responded with repentance, this thing is a done deal. You are going to be the father of many nations. I am getting, Abram, your ship to the port. That's what I'm going to do for you. So I talked to a guy just this past week who's just living in sin and bummed out. And I used this. I said, you can stay in the hold of the ship if you want to where it's dark and nasty, and there's a bunch of really bad people down there, and it's gross, and you're puking, and you're miserable. You can stay there if you want to. Man, are you happy in what you're doing right now? He just started crying. I said, get out of the hold of the ship. Come up on the top deck. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy creation. Enjoy God. Why are you doing down there? Get out of the hold of the ship. No one has to be down there. All of us can do exactly what Abram did right here and fall on our face and repent, and we're brought out of the hold of sin, and we're brought up on the top of the ship to enjoy God and his creation. And that's what Abram does right here. All right, chapter 16 is gone. Let's move forward. It's beautiful. So God increases, enlarges his promises and then God marks him. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. What covenant has God made with Abram to this point? Nothing, except for unilaterally his side. I'm going to do this, chapter 15. You and your offspring after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old... Among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generation, whether born in your house or bought with money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who was born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off. From his people, he has broken my covenant. Circumcision, the mark of the Abrahamic covenant. Why on the eighth day? You got it. So if you've ever studied this thing called the vitamin K that the body turns into prothrombin, that helps blood to clot. Babies, when they're born, it's low. Vitamin K starts getting to them through breast milk. And actually at eight days, it's the highest amount of prothrombin that a person will ever have. It actually exceeds 100% and then drops back down on the ninth day in flat lines at 100%. How in the world did Moses, when he made up the Bible according to critical Scholars, how in the world did he know that? He didn't. This is one of those little to me fascinating little texts that show God's fingerprint, his stamp on his word. Do it on this eighth day. Because you want to do it as early as possible so the kid doesn't remember it, right? (laughs) And then you want to do it when it's the safest possible day. That is the eighth day. It's magnificent. It's awesome. It's incredible. So, other ancient Near Eastern cultures circumcised. But the majority of them circumcised like this. It would be a boy and his rite of passage. So he would go and whatever, climb Mount Sinai, or he'd have his spirit quest, or he'd accomplish some great thing, and the tribal elders would be like, okay, you've passed, you're now a man, to be a man in our tribe, we circumcise you. So it was like a, it was a status symbol almost that you did great things. Well, an eight day old baby hasn't done anything, has he? No. So you're seeing, I think, a little glimmer here of grace that I make this covenant not on you making a rite of passage. I make this covenant not on you accomplishing some great thing for me. I make this covenant based purely on my grace. The second thing about it is this, it's permanent. You can't undo circumcision. It's permanent. So people ask me this question all the time. If you're saved, are you always saved? Can you lose your salvation? And that's a high debate in Christianity. My answer is real simple. I say, can you unpickle A cucumber. Once a pickle, never a cucumber again. Once a pickled Christian, never an unbeliever again. To me, the question is never can you lose your salvation? The only question is are you one of his sheep? Because Jesus promises if you're in my hand, no man will snatch you out. And not only that, if you're in my father's hands, no man can snatch you out of my father's hands. Over and over, Our salvation is always tied to the faithfulness of God. He that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Now unto him that is able to present you faultless on that day be the glory. It's always based on God's faithfulness. So the only question is not, can you lose your salvation? The only question is, are you saved? And the Bible does tell us 2 Corinthians 13, verse six, examine yourself, whether you be of the faith, else you be a reprobate. You better make sure you're saved. That's my job. No one else can do it. It doesn't say examine your neighbor. And a lot of people wanna do that. It says examine yourself because only you know. Only you know. And Jesus gives some really scary words on that in Matthew chapter seven. Many will come to me in that day. And they'll say, Lord, didn't we do all this great stuff for you? We prophesied, we did miracles for you. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I don't know you. Do you know him? That's the only question. So it's permanent. Well, should people be circumcised today? Not for religious reasons. If you have other reasons, sure. But not if you're trying to keep the law. This was a big debate in the church. It was actually the first major debate the church ever had. The first Christian council in the Bible in history was on this question. Because there's this church, the Church of Galatia, there's a group of people called the Judaizers who are coming in there and like, hey, you guys are saved. You believe in Jesus. That's so awesome. But are you serious about your faith? And they're like, yeah, we're serious about our faith. We'll prove it. Okay, we'll prove we're serious. Okay, be circumcised. Paul, where are you at, man? And so Paul picks up this case and it goes Acts chapter 15 and they take it before the city, the council there of the church in Jerusalem. And then the decision is no, no, they don't have to be circumcised. They're saved by grace, just like we are. And just like we have been able to keep the law, why would we put that same thing on them? And if you look at the Old Testament, what you see is God wanted more than just, Outwardly marking. So the Bible talks about circumcision of the lips, circumcision of the ears, circumcision of the heart. That this was an outer mark of what had happened inside of people. So if you look at the chronology of Abram, now Abraham, chapter 15, he believed Yahweh and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you would, that's his salvation. And now he's marked. It was an outward mark of what had already happened inside his heart in believing in Yahweh, that Yahweh is good and generous, that he is El Shaddai, the source, and I'll put my hope in him, all right? So now, Isaac is promised, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, which means probably queen, Or princess? I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Very similar to the promise given to Abraham. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah who is 90 years old bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. It's interesting there. Ishmael means... God hears. So, as for God hears, I have heard you. <laughs> Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. I said last week, the Ishmaelites were never the enemies of Israel. David, in fact, had two uh, kind of administers in his realm that were both Ishmaelites. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Massive promise. Abraham hears it. And it says he fell down, laughed, and he asked this question Can a 100 year old dude have a baby with his 90 year old wife? And he's just laughing. That's a great question, isn't it? I would ask that question if I was 100 years old and my wife was 90. Is this possible? It all depends on who made the promise, right? If I promised to buy you a Lamborghini Diablo, you would laugh. Not in the way Abraham laughs, but you'd laugh and say, yeah, right. If Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, came up to you and promised to buy you a Lamborghini Diablo... You would laugh and like, oh, oh, okay, when are we going? I can make some time tomorrow. You want to go tomorrow? Because you know we can do it. The only question, it's a great question. the, The way to figure out if it's true or not is who's making the promise. Is it El Shaddai, the source? Okay, so Sunday I said this. I think God is trying to get Abraham back to his dream. The dream he had probably when he was 25, and he gets married to Sarai at 16. You know, it's pretty common, even younger than that. And they have this dream of having kids. And for years, decades, 75 years, no, 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 no. And finally he decided that dream's never coming true. And he had settled on Ishmael, right? Verse 17, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Hey, Ishmael can do it. This other thing, that's never going to happen, man. I've had 74 years of disappointment. I'm not going to be disappointed anymore. I'm going to try that. Are you kidding me? That's not happening. And God says, no. Too often believers settle for Ishmael's when God wants to give us Isaacs. If you read Galatians chapter four, those two are used as the works of the flesh and God's promise. Too many times we just settle for what we can do in our flesh, which is so limited and so small. And yeah, we're saying that's impossible. Instead of believing that God gave us an Isaac, laughter, joy, massive dreams. So I titled it Dream On. Believers should be the biggest dreamers ever. We should dream. It's just saying and I think it's right. If you believe you can or can't, you're right if you believe you can or can't, you're right. Like that's how powerful belief is. I've given this example before the four minute mile for a long time it was believed You cannot humans. It's physically impossible for a human to run a four minute mile until 1954. Roger Bannister breaks the record. Right. Then after that, six more people do it the next year, like 300 people, the year after that, I'm going to do it this year. Like it's no problem now. Just train and do it. Nike's saying this right now. Have you been following that? We're going we're gonna to make sure that within this year, we will run, have a runner do a less than two-hour marathon. Have you seen that? It's fascinating. It's YouTube. It's incredible. I mean, these, these guys are phenomenal athletes, and they're saying, we're going to break the two-hour, which is, for a long time, you can't run a marathon in under two hours. They're saying we can do it. I think they will. I believe it's powerful. How much more for you and me? So here's what the New Testament says about this situation. It's Romans 4. Read it. It says this, that Abraham looked at himself as good as dead. He looks across the table at Sarah, and she's not much better. But then it says, that's a really loose translation, by the way. It's a maverly translation. He says, but okay, God said this. God Almighty, El I said this. Okay, it makes me giggle. I can't believe this. Oh my goodness, all right. And he believed God. And God made his dream come true. A dream that for 70 plus years had seemed impossible. It comes true. What do we doubt? What dreams have we had for our kids, or for our marriage, or for our parents, or for our neighbors, or for salvation? What, what dreams have we had for a long time that feel like, no. Maybe an addict in your family. I have one. And I have great dreams for my younger brother. And he's like, "What?" ah. And to be honest with you, I've given up. And this message has convicted me. That don't give up. Keep dreaming for your brother. Keep praying for him. Keep talking to me about him. I'm El Shaddai. I am the source. I can break that addiction. Don't give up. That's what this is saying. It might've been 75 years don't give up. I am El Shaddai. I am the source. That's how God comes to Abram. I'm El Shaddai. Don't give up. I will make this dream come true. Do you believe in El Shaddai, the source? Because if you do, then there is no dream. You can dream that's big enough for him. All right? So here's how it concludes. When he had finished, talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house were bought with money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, Abraham's, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. I just love to say that whole thing. And Ishmael, his son, awkward, and his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in his house, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him." You got obedience now. Abram obeys. And it says twice, that very day. We have a saying in our home. Slow obedience is no obedience, right? Every parent has that. Listen, slow obedience is no obedience. It is that day. If I'm honest about this, I'm gonna wait I'm going to pray to God for confirmation. You know, I'm just not sure if I heard you right, Lord. Manana. Let's think about this manana. All right. I'm going to find the right time to do this. Like a vasectomy. Do you know there is a weekend when the majority of men get a vasectomy? You know what weekend it is? March Madness. There's this massive blip. You know why? So they can lay on a couch for three days and watch basketball. And tell their wives, I can't get up, doctor's order. <laughs> Give me the channel. Give me some ice cream, right? <laughs> I, th- I read that article a couple months ago. I just cracked up. I'm like, well, that's men for you. <laughs> and they'll just figure out a way to do that. Abe has no excuses. He's not waiting for March Madness. He's like, I'm doing this today, that very day. Why? Did God tell him to? doesn't say anywhere that God told him to do it today. I think here's what's happened to Abram. He's been allowed to dream again. And because he's been allowed to dream again, he's like, Sarah and I, Sarah and I, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this. this is un- he's giddy. He's almost like childlike. Man, I'm getting going on this thing then. I'm doing this. I'm dreaming again. Wow. It's like children can't wait. Do you know that? Children do not wait. It's like, if they have a question to ask you, it does not matter if you're asleep on the couch, they're going to ask it to you. It's like, if they see a human sleeping, a child has to ask them a question <laughs> 10 times in a row, and then hit you on the side of the head to wake you up, right? It's like immediate, I got to do this right now. It's childlike. Our kids are constantly, Charity and I will, have, and I will like, want to have a conversation, and it's like, it's like nonstop interruption, we won't get through one sentence. And then with all the interruptions, we look at each other like, what were we talking about? Yeah, I don't know anymore. All right, forget it, right? Because they just can't wait. There's this thing in kids, it's just immediate. What kid has had a really cool idea, and has been like, you know, I'll schedule it in for next month to figure out how to do that. No, it's give me scissors and give me duct tape. I'm gonna build a plane and we're gonna fly off the top of the roof. There's this immediacy to them. I think that's what you see happening to Abraham right now. He's been reborn in a way new name, new lease, new dream, and he cannot wait. I'm making this happen right now. I love that. I ask people, I'll ask my kids, what would you do if the answer was yes? What would you do, Elijah, Myron, (laughs) Carissa, Bella, Gabrielle, staff, what would you do if you knew the answer was yes? That's how you dream. What would you do? They're saying, uh, I just read this great study, that if you will shut down the reasoning part of your brain, creativity skyrockets. We reason so much, how in the world can a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old, like we reason so much that the creative kind of expansive, like dreaming side of our brain just gets squashed. We do it to ourselves. Abraham is doing the opposite right here. Man, he's dreaming again. Are you kidding me? What would you dream if you could? For yourself, for your kids, for your family, for Grant's past, for the kingdom, for Edgewater. Please do. Please dream, and please do. To me, that's chapter 17. It's a reengaging of a 99-year-old dude who'd made a really big mistake, and it's God coming and saying, I'm recovering with you. You repented. I'm expanding my promise to you. Now dream big. And he goes for it. I love this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. So Jesus, may we be dreamers because you are El Shaddai, the source of life, of power, of strength. I pray for any in here who maybe have had dreams that were forgotten Tucked away. Jesus, we pray that you would reignite those dreams in us. We'd begin to pray again for things that we think are impossible, like Abram, now Abraham. And I ask that you would be our El Shaddai, the source, the mighty one, the mountain, the breast, the one that we look to for everything, and that you would do exceedingly, abundantly above all we could ask or think for your kingdom and for your glory. I pray for our city, Lord. We love this city. These are our people. We feel something good happening. We want to see revival. We pray for for the Converge weekend, Lord. I pray for Cutlass and the work they're going to do. We ask that there would be a harvest, Lord. We pray that right now you'd be sending out workers to gather in people who can hear the good news, who can celebrate alongside believers, and that, Jesus, there would be many people that call upon your name, that you become their El Shaddai, the source, the one, the bread of life. We pray for Ryan Dobson as he shares in the park on that Sunday. We pray for power and strength and your spirit to move through him, that we would be equipped as a body to impact our community for you, for the kingdom. We pray for service, Lord. We pray that it wouldn't be just helping people be lazy, but the service that we do in Grants Pass on Saturday would be demonstrating Jeremiah 29, that we plant gardens, that we pray for peace, that we are the citizens who love this city because we love you. So continue to work. May this summer be a harvest, Lord, for the churches of Grants Pass. May souls be saved. May addictions be broken. May we see you move in great ways, we ask. And we ask this because you are our El Shaddai. So would you go with us? Would you fill us? Would you use us? And may we dream big dreams even this night. We pray this in your name. Amen.